Yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, it, I definitely didn't mind putting it off because of the spam attack. And I don't want to like interview you when the whole back end's kind of clogged up. So I'm, I'm glad that we, you know, I'm glad they were able to push out a fix pretty quickly and, and we can start talking about it. Yeah, um, it was definitely a rough time with the spam attack, but part of why I had such difficulty is because I'm kind of a noob at coding and I'm sort of learning as I go. So I had some uh, functionality on my side would receive work for Nano that I didn't have set up correctly. And once I got that set up correctly, it was working a lot better. But I just got caught up in a lot of business development stuff. So um, I appreciate you letting me push it off a bit more. Yeah, of course, of course. So wait a minute, who's your, do you have a main dev then? Um, I'm the main dev right now. Um, I, I, I had a guy in the beginning uh, who was the main dev for a while. He built out our entire backend. And then I sort of took over from him uh, as he stepped down to an advisory role. Uh, so I've been learning a lot. It's been pretty fun. I do have another technical guy who uh, is my co-founder, and um, he's you know I'm grooming him to take over the dev side of things. Okay, because that's gonna be rough if you're a noob to because it's like a pretty advanced app, right? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> but the you know Discord of the Nano community is so so helpful that's that true. Um, yeah. I just ask them questions all the time and pass to them until they help me get things set up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, super helpful. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to work with a community, that's the community to work with because they are like, they do bend over backwards to help people out. They're just genuinely a nice group of people. <laughs> yeah, they really are. It's it's really just fun to be with that kind of community. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I did take three years of computer science um, as a double major, though, when okay. in my undergrad. So I'm not like fully fresh to it. And I did do a lot of, you know, amateur programming. So it's okay. not like I'm jumping into it with just, you know, no experience. I have... A good amount of experience okay <laughs> so i was like dude that's a i tried to uh learn a little bit of python during the during covid and i was like i got halfway through the book i was like i really just don't enjoy sitting in front of a screen coding I, mean, I don't mind sitting in front of a screen doing other things but like just so maybe i just needed to find something a better project to work on and to learn that way some people say it's better just to kind of like jump in and find something that you want to work on and learn that way what were you doing with, with Python? Just trying to learn. I mean, because I was like, yeah, I'm just sitting here on my ass and might as well try to like learn a skill that if this happened to go on for like 10 years, you know, what would we need? Like what would, what jobs would stick around? I wrote a mm -hmm. pilot about how, you know, 10 years from now, the only, the only blue collar jobs are going to be like bug bounty jobs. <laughs> That I, I I can totally see everything else getting automated, but needing humans to go through code and find errors, and so oh, that's interesting. Um, but like that's the survival job at that point, where like everyone's you know everyone's struggling and they're all trying to find bug you know hunting bug bounties. So, um, well, nice. So, talk to me a little bit about. Hold on, really fast. Welcome to Keyword Crypto. This is Michael. I got a guest. Adrian, why don't you introduce yourself and why you're here? Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Adrian Garcia, uh, co-founder and CEO of Vincom, uh, also known as the uh, people who pay you to block scam calls with our Karma Call app. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you uh, give us a, a brief description of Karma Call because it's an interesting pro uh, project. 
Yeah. Uh, so Karma Call was um, just born out of my frustration with getting bugged by scam calls and robocalls. And I basically thought, man, if I had a nickel for every time I got one of these calls. And then from there, I just started writing out some sort of way to, uh, to implement that in real life. And so Karma Call is an app that pays you to block scam call. And it pays you even more to accept good call. Uh, all of this is done with Nano in the background. And basically, we're able to uh, have someone um, who's not on your contact list get sent straight to voicemail if they try to call you. But if they want to call you, they can give you a five-cent deposit to ring your phone. And if you answer and talk with them for more than 25 seconds, they get a full refund because they were a good caller. But if you answer and you don't like what you're hearing, you hang up before 25 seconds and you'll collect their deposit. So it's a way of disincentivizing spam over telecommunications. And um, it's pretty interesting, actually. If you look at Bitcoin and Hashcash, uh, the whole like mining algorithm that uh, which is Hashcash was originally made to combat email spam. So um, spam has an interesting sort of relationship with cryptocurrencies in general. I didn't know that about Hashcash. It's interesting. Um, yeah, Adam Back. CEO of Blockstream. <laughs> yeah, Adam. <laughs> Good old Adam. <laughs> um, so wh uh, why did you choose Nano? Um, well, you know, when I initially came up with the concept of Karma Call, um, I was actually thinking in Satoshis. Um, I mean, the first thing that I wrote down in my little notebook was uh, use Satoshis to block scam calls. And so um, I ended up, you know, having a bit of a tough time struggling with the transaction fees that are associated, whether you're using Bitcoin the network or whether you're using Lightning Network, there's still sort of a variable transaction fee that you have to account for. And that just makes it a little bit complicated. So I took a step back and I um, laid out some uh, frameworks from a first principles approach. And I thought, what do I need to, you know, eventually scale up to potentially doing billions of billions of transactions per year? Um, and I came down to this criteria, which was uh, um, this payment platform has to be fee-less, it has to be real-time, uh, has to be scalable, easy to work with, and attempts to be decentralized, because I do believe in the principles of decentralization. Um, so when I looked at the cryptocurrency ecosystem, there were a few that were uh, fee-less, and scalable. Um, but then I had another criteria, which is uh, I didn't like the concept of having a minimum account balance. So um, things like EOS, things like Stellar, um, things like Ripple, each of those has a minimum account balance that you need. And it's just it's kind of a weird thing because it means someone needs to buy into the cryptocurrency ecosystem before they can use it. Um, and then I found Nano and IOTA, um, both of which don't require minimum balances and uh, meet my criteria. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I can use both of these and let someone try out the power of cryptocurrency without actually buying into it, which was super important to me. Um, and then I ended up going with Nano because at the time, uh, you know, uh, mid 2018 uh, to 2019, IOTA was kind of a, kind of a pain to deal with. Um, yeah. You had to, you know, reconfirm your transaction multiple times. Um, I think I've heard it a little better now, but I've just sort of gotten used to Nano at this point. And so, um, that, that's why, that's the story of how that happened. So did you know about Nano beforehand or was it really, literally just searching all these criterias and that's what popped up? Um, I did know about Nano beforehand. 
uh, but before I got really into uh, software development, um, I was in the cryptocurrency space as a um, an avid enthusiast of what it could do for the world. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about using it in um, uh, software. I, I did have an idea that that's the space I wanted to be in. Um, but yeah, I didn't know about Nana beforehand. Nice. Can Can we go back to, you said Lightning Network has some kind of fee involved. And I've always heard that Lightning Network doesn't have fees. Um, um, yeah, so I actually, I, I spoke with a good friend of mine. Um, I, I won't name drop him here, uh, but he's a local guy who's really into Bitcoin. And um, he introduced me to uh, someone else who is uh, a, a pretty, uh, I guess, big figure in the Lightning Network space. He actually spoke at the Miami uh, Beach Conference this past weekend. Um, and I, 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 you know, spoke with them again, just to be sure, because, uh, you know, it's been, this was just like a month ago, a okay. month and a half ago. Um, and, and yeah, they, you know, reconfirmed to me that there are, you know, small fees associated with using Lightning Network. Typically around three Satoshis is the minimum that you end up going towards. Um, and if you try to go any lower than that in the amount that you're sending, so if you send one Satoshi, you're still going to have to pay about, you know, three Satoshis or so. Um, I've heard that you can go down to millisats. But um, that, that seems to be a little uh, weird. And then you have Strike. And Strike has this amazing way of, you know, onboarding people with fiat and using Lightning Network in the background. And I think what they're doing is eating the Lightning Network fees themselves because uh, they have like $19 million of venture funding so they can do that. Um, but, but yeah, no, there are fees associated with Lightning Network. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So Strike, you think are eating the fees? I think so. Either that or they're um, uh, moving uh, money around on an internal ledger and only using Lightning or Bitcoin um, at the very last mile, uh, which is what I would do if I were at their, at their scale. It just makes sense. Okay. That just seems weird to me because they keep on saying free, but then like, what happens when that $19 million runs out? Well, it's the same thing that happened with Uber, right? So, I mean, uh, a lot of Uber lists, we were all riding around in ride shares, uh, basically a venture-funded uh, ride share. So they were really, really cheap, and now they're getting you know more and more expensive. It's about 40% more expensive to take a ride share now than it was you know three to four years ago. Um, so it's just a strategy, you know, you land and expand, you bring in the consumer with, you know, free to small amounts of fees. And then as they get used to your ecosystem, you start to bring up the fees a little bit more and let them eat that themselves. So it's just, it's common strategy. I know, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of that just cause I don't, I like, my thing is like, if I join something and I'm told this is, this is what like the cost structure, this is what I'm going to be paying. Like I just emotionally kind of invest in that and prepare mentally prepared to pay that forever and start like planning that into my budget. But then I follow some, they're like, Oh, by the way, you need to pay 30% more now. I'm like, what the, f-? like I've built my whole life around cheap Ubers. Like I know people who sold their cars and did this and that because Ubers were so cheap. And then now all of a sudden they're like, holy shit, I can't afford to like go anywhere because it's so expensive now. These Ubers are so expensive. They're like they're the same price as taxis. And my response is always like, well, that's the true cost. Like the reason Agreed. why Americans have such cheap gas is because it's completely subsidized. If you go to Europe, th- then you realize the true cost of of gasoline. Because they're paying like you know, like a dollar a liter, which is like four dollars a gallon almost on average. That's just their normal. 
And so when we were paying like two fifty, they're paying four. And so like there's like the real and it's and we're going you know we jump into the whole thing of like um minimum wage employees at like McDonald's or something like that. They're like oh we, you know we had to give them a raise, so we have to like raise your prices. And the CEO took a hundred percent raise increase last year at Chipotle or something like that. You know, but like there's the real costs of food and all this stuff. And I think Americans are a little like unaware of what those costs are. Um, so I, I, I like that you went with something that you don't need to do that with, you know, that long story <laughs> coming back to your app. So you're, you're, I mean, feasibly, you're never going to have to, there's never going to be a cost to use your app, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, we structured our business model from the very beginning to make this app as free as possible uh, for uh, all of our people using this. Um, and the reason being is because we don't make money from um, our people paying for the app. We make the money from the businesses who are going to want to, are going to have to uh, pay to reach out to you. Uh, so we have this entire like uh, strategy on the business side about reducing the cost of their customer acquisition by letting them directly pay their customers for feedback, response, or engagement. So um, we're basically trying to do cost per click of internet advertising and apply that towards the telecommunications infrastructure. Um, so one of the cool things that I just uh, have been playing with recently is uh, response-based email. So if I send you an email like right now uh, asking you for some question and um, you respond to it, you'll get a payout. And so you won't get the payout though until you respond to my email. So it's sort of a way of getting people, incentivizing people to engage with you. And um, attention is like the scarcest commodity now. So giving businesses a way to, you know, incentivize you to engage and allowing it, those incentives to be on the order of micro pennies or pennies or dollars or hundreds of dollars is something that I find really fascinating. So, you know, we take a commission off of all of those good uh, responses, good engagement. So we only get paid when um, our people get paid. So yeah, yeah, we've kind of built the business model to account for that. Um, we're trying to stay away from the traditional ad base sort of way of making money, just because I um, I, I I have this weird thing about ads. Like, I'd like to see a world with you know either less ads or ads that at least let you get paid for um, having watched them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like we're we've been doing kind of. Did you see that that borderline horror show on? I think it was on Netflix with a. Um... Jonah Hill, where is the future? And everyone kind of lived off of ha- like clicking on ads and getting paid to watch ads. What the heck? No, wow, that it sounds was, so it came, funny. It came out like a year, like maybe two years ago. Um, yeah. So like, if people, you know, people were poor and and to like, you know, to get on the bus, they'd have to like watch all these ads and, and just sit there and like be inundated with ads the entire bus ride just to be able to afford the bus ride. It's crazy. I mean, because it's like you said, like that's kind of the direction it's going a little bit. And, you know, I mean, in in the whole Brave browser, that's the whole business model. We're going to pay you to watch ads or they're going to pay you to watch ads. And it's just like, I don't really want to like have that. I don't want to be incentivized to watch commercials. And so. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, that's that's like a scary dystopian future. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit scarier if you don't, if this doesn't change. If, if you continue to not get paid for these ads, which they're going to be here 
forever like oh, advertising yeah. is never going to die it's never going to die um so if it doesn't change and we continue to not get paid well we'll just see the proceeds of advertising dollars continue to go into the tech giants and have them continue to hoard these billions of dollars that really should be distributed to the end users um and then that didn't even scare your dystopia then you'd have you know these tech giants that are basically richer than you know some countries and yeah that's yeah that's so, we so already, that's we already see it right now with with uh elon musk and jeff bezos and what's his facebook name mark zuckerberg i mean those guys are like buying islands and it's like it's it's crazy how much money they have so talk to me about the um the spam attack because that was kind of a big deal. It didn't it didn't shut down the network, but I know I know I know it caused a lot of problems for some people. Yeah, uh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so really, so uh, really fast, if you don't know what we're talking about, Nano got hit by a spam attack about uh, like two months ago, and it went on for like a month, and it was really intense. Really, it just it's kind of like a DDoS attack, and after about two weeks of just heavy, heavy spam, uh, a few nodes started to get out of sync. Some of the we- some of the like the lower end nodes, um, like ho- hobbyist nodes, and so that kind of started. But it also kind of affected Binance and Kraken because they were like, um, "We need to hold off because we're connected to some of these nodes, and they hadn't updated their nodes, and it was just kind of it. It, it did kind of it didn't stop it. Everything still worked, but." Some stuff got hung up for a while. You know, some transactions got hung up for like a week or two. Um, so, and and that's that's the back end of your app. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it was interesting um, for a while. Uh, our services were going pretty well actually because most of our transactions are within our own network. Um, so you know, we didn't really have our Karma Call users um, sending Nano. Uh, from accounts that were not within the same wallet. So, um, you know, we have uh, a couple of wallets that host most of all of our, our Karma Call accounts. So because we were, you know, sending Nano internally to Nano accounts within the same wallet, um, we, we were mostly pretty okay. Uh, but then it got pretty intense for a while, and we did find some uh, receives um, that were not being received. And so uh, I was, and I ended up using this... Um, this person, I think his name is NR Crypto. Uh, he's on Discord, and he made this amazing tool called uh, Confirm Me Block, and it was basically a way of automating the receive work and publishing all these blocks in case you were behind and catching up, basically. So uh, I, you know, that was a godsend for a while. Um, so yeah, for a while it was pretty good for us, but then you know, um, due to my shoddy backend implementation <laughs> with the receive work, it uh, it kind of you know. It, yeah, I, I ended up having to, I, I had a little trouble for uh, a, a few days. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was just, man, it it wasn't fun. That That's for sure. Um, but now it seems to be a whole lot more easier. My um, node is, you know, really just keeping up with everything at this point. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, something that was uh, unexpected, I guess. So does every, so let's say a billion people are using your app. Would every single person be running off of your node? For now, for now in this early stage, uh, my goal is to really have this 
be where each person has their own private key and, you know, have it be non-custodial. Um, but I just don't have enough bandwidth at this point to make that happen. Uh, and then that brings in a little bit of complexity as well. Um, but, you know, in the next year, next couple of years, if they were building people on, uh, that would be amazing. Uh, then, yeah, they'd be all would be running off of the same node. And if we started seeing any issues, um, I don't know why we would see issues. But if we did, you know, I would like to split them up into different nodes. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's how it would go. And so, so can one node handle all that technically? I, I, I don't see why not. But um, I think those kinds of questions may go a little bit over my head, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, yeah. that's like a Colin questioner right there, or a, or a Patrick Luberis question. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, um, but yeah, I I I don't think it would be an issue really. Um, but you know, in, in theory, it probably wouldn't be an issue. In practice, I don't I don't really know. Um, it's just never really been done. I mean, I guess it would it would seem to kind of make sense to maybe like have one america's node and one european node or something like that just to break things up that way but i guess with nano it doesn't really matter because it can travel around the world in like less than a second and so um i guess distance doesn't really make that much of a difference um when you were building the app how much of it were you actually pulling from your uh your degree and how much was kind of just like learning on the fly um well, you know, our Android app was built in Java. Um, it really should have been built in Kotlin. That's the new standard. Uh, but it was built in Java. And um, that was actually the first language that I learned. And it's actually one of my favorite languages. So um, it was pretty easy for me to just dive right back into it and get used to the syntax. Um, and so I, I would say about uh, 40, no, more like 30% of it came from my previous education and about 60, 70% of it came from learning new things on the fly. Um, there's so much that has improved in the ecosystem. Uh, when I started coding, it was like 2012. I was using Eclipse as an IDE and it's basically like typing into a text browser, um, which is horrible. But now you have things like IntelliJ, which it's basically having an, an AI autocomplete like 80% of the code for you, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I started, I learned all about Spring Boot, which is a, a microservices framework for Java. And my gosh, that is just, it's amazing what you can do with things like Spring Boot. Um, so, so that, that, you know, I had to learn a lot about that sort of ecosystem. So I would say about 60, 70% of it was learning things on the fly. And that's how I continue to, um, to approach it. I, I don't really study uh, that much code. I just sort of find things that I need to do or think features that need to be, you know, implemented. And I learn how to implement those features. Um, so like, yeah, when we we're talking earlier about you and Python, I was thinking, man, you need to find a really cool project that you really want to get done. Yeah. And then you'd have a blast with Python. I mean, I have the, uh, the crash course, uh, Python book, and that's kind of the, the, the mindset is, you know, there's a whole project that you work on in the book, but I haven't gotten to that point yet. And I just kind of lost interest and some other stuff came up, but like, it seems like that's if you have a basic background, that's such a great way of doing it, like like the way you're doing it. It's just like you're working on something, you need you need to fix something, but you have enough technical know how to know where to look to fix it. And I think that's just the kind of point that people need to get to if they want to code is 
just that, you know, the the basic understanding. It's kind of like with crypto. It's just like when someone asks me a crypto question, I know where to go now. But for the first year and a half, I didn't know. I was like, um, Reddit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I could, it would take me forever to, to answer questions for people. But now just being in the space for so long and, and understanding the buzzwords and this and that, and like just the, the lingo, I can, I can pretty much figure something out relatively quickly. So yeah, I mean it's it's nice it's it's exciting that that you're you're doing it that way just because it feels like anybody can can do that and anybody can can try to build an app and and incorpor- yeah. incorporate their favorite cryptocurrency. Yeah, absolutely you can. Um but it it's not easy by any means at all. It's yeah. really 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 hard. Uh and you have to really want to do this thing and um I, I, I would advise if you're going to do that kind of thing, um, think hard about, you know, who the end audience is about the business side of things. Because, you know, life is short. Uh, you want to be able to make things that can give you a return of investment on your on your time. Um, so, yeah, anyone can do it, but it's not easy. Uh, you have to really want it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely I encourage it, though, because it gets really fun. And it's a way to create a, a scalable lifestyle, you know, a way to make money while you sleep. And uh, yeah. a big part of my life has been doing multiple revenue streams. Um, even when I was doing my PhD, I had about three or four different revenue streams from a variety of lifestyle ventures that I was doing, which, by the way, is kind of how I learned how to do, uh, you know, social engineering and looking for loopholes in the systems, um, which is how I got to where I am now. So yeah, fun stuff, fun stuff. So what's social engineering? Yeah, so um, it's sort of when you um, let people fill in the context of an interaction for themselves. And I'll give you an example here. Um, I used to do what's known as manufactured spending, uh, credit card churning. Those are two different terms. Um, so from like 2013 to 2015 or so, um, I opened and closed about 60 to 70 different credit card accounts. And I did that to get the bonuses. You know how um, with the credit card, like <laughs> yeah. you can spend. Yeah, okay. So I didn't spend that much money uh, back then because I was, you know, in grad school and I was a poor student eating ramen and whatnot, right? So um, I uh, figured out that you can go to grocery stores, gas stations, and drug stores. And um, buy a thousand dollars of gift cards. So if you buy a five hundred dollar gift card, it costs like six dollars. So it's about one percent. Um, but what I did for one card would be, you know, if I wanted to spend three thousand dollars, I would go to a grocery store, pick up six of those gift cards, and that would be, you know, three thousand and thirty six dollars. And then I would get each of those gift cards and convert them into money orders because each of those gift cards has a pin because they're debit cards. And this was all brand new. Grocery stores and drugstores didn't really know you could have PIN numbers with gift cards. Uh Um, But I converted them to money orders, and then I used the money orders to pay off the original credit card debt. So I spent (laughs) $3,000 without spending $3,000. And um, so I did that to the tune of, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like I would walk into a grocery store and buy $30,000 worth of gift cards in one go. And so you have to learn social engineering when you're doing that because the cashiers look at you funny. They ask you weird questions. And so the cashier would ask me like, oh, what are you buying all these gift cards for? Is it for a wedding? And I was like, yep, yep, it's for a wedding. Like, you know, they they just fill in the details on their own and you just sort of go along with it. The hardest thing to do was when you were cashing out $30,000 worth of gift cards into money orders and you're swiping cards for like half an hour at the register. And so, you know, cashiers get suspicious and they can cut you off. And so you have to just play along with them. So um, you just 
say as little as you need to say and you sort of act like you belong and um yeah let people fill in the blanks on their own um so so yeah that that's sort of how i made a a huge chunk of change but um you know i also got banned from amax i got banned from chase and <laughs> um, you know city still loves me but uh yeah and and it was fantastic it was super fun it was super fun and that's actually how i got scammed for the first time i lost twenty thousand dollars because someone guessed the sequential gift card numbers i don't know if you know this but if you go to a any store and you look at the Visa gift card rack or the MasterCard gift card rack, you pull one of them, then you're going to have the first 12 numbers for all of the other cards on that rack. And oh, so it's shit. super easy for someone to guess the last four and then, you know, go and just keep checking those last four until they pull a number. And there's actually a huge uh, fraud ring here in Southern California that does that. So I lost $20,000 and um, I got it back eventually. It took about three months of fighting with the banks, but that was my first you know, run in with scams. And that's kind of what led me towards, you know, the phone scam thing, because we lose so much money to the phone scam for older folks going to stores from fraudsters. They always convince them to buy Google Play cards, Visa gift cards, Target cards. And um, yeah, so like, it's funny, I can draw a line from where I first started, like, you know, 10 years ago to where I am now. Uh, It all has a a connection, a connecting thread. So, um, so yeah, kind of went off on a tangent there, but that's more or less social engineering. No, it's great. I mean, it's everything leads back to, you know, it comes full circle. I mean, like that, I've, I've heard the story in a different interview of you telling, you know, talking about the scam calls and older, older people, especially getting scammed. And that, you know, it's just an interesting, interesting story. So are you actually trying to completely stop spam, like st- spam calls or not spam calls, but like scam calls? Or are you just trying to like, just put a, a speed bump to get them to slow down a little bit? You know, you're never really going to stop them. Um, They're just too good at what they do. But you can certainly make it a whole lot more expensive for them to continue to operate. Um, So, I mean, I I would love to put a complete stop to it. But truth be told, even if I succeed and everyone uses Karma Call, there's still going to be some scammers who will even pay you to listen to them and convince you that, hey, you really should go to the store and buy me a $500 gift card, even though I'm paying you $20 for this conversation. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's going to continue. Uh, there's no stopping it, but you can certainly reduce the volume of it that's happening. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of like with, with cigarettes is they're like, hey, you can still smoke them, but we're going to charge you 17 times more now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it, I know a lot of people are like, <laughs> I just can't afford to smoke anymore. And they slowly stop smoking. And so, I mean, I guess it, it did kind of work a little bit. Wow. That's actually a really cool analogy. So yeah, yeah. Same, same thing. Same thing for the scammers. Some of them just won't be able to continue to scam anymore. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, cool. like you said, it's like you can't, you can try your best, but you can't actually stop any from doing something. You can just try to like disincentivize them. We were, ta- we were talking about something earlier and it made me think of, made me think of Pavlovian dogs and like humans are dogs. In essence, like we will keep doing something until we're, as long as we keep getting incentivized to do it. And the way to stop us is to stop giving that incentive and people are just going to eventually stop doing it. I mean, it's just, and it seems like hopefully if you could do that with, with Karma Call, it's just like where the incentive just, like the, the incentive just is so far removed now. You have to work so much harder to get it that maybe they will stop and just try something else and move on to a different scam that, you know, doesn't target old people, but I just don't see that happening. <laughs> greedy people are greedy and they're going to target, but it, I, think, I love the idea of just like, 
you know, speed bumps, just get him to stop. Or like I, it, uh, another nag- analogy I was thinking about when we were, when we were before we talked was, uh, um, I'm not, whole, I'm not sure how old you are, but when I was younger, clubs on cars were a big thing. You, know, you put it on the steering wheel. Oh, the little red yeah. club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember those. And, you know, within a year, it became painfully obvious that it was super easy to, um, you know, either break them using like, uh, uh, you know, cold, fr- you know, cold spray or whatever, and, and then just crack the, and then break the lock or just saw through the steering wheel and it would just slide right off. But <laughs> people realized that just having it on the car was a visual disincentive for, uh, raw, for, for car thieves. And they would just move on to a different car that didn't have it just because that, that, Seeing that on there, they knew it was going to take them an extra 30 seconds. And in that extra 30 seconds, somebody could see them and they could go to jail. So they would just move on to one that didn't have that um, on their car. And so it, it, it almost seems like this is one of those things where it's just like, if somebody really, really wants your car, even though you got a club on it, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll steal it. But you know, just maybe that, that little disincentive is all you need just to like protect yourself from the next one, you know, and, and they'll just move on to another person who doesn't have that. And so... I mean, I asked you earlier, um, before, before, you know, this interview, if you were trying to completely stop it and that's what started making me think of all these different analogies. And I just like the idea of like, you can't ever stop something, but how can we just kind of slow it down a little bit? Yeah. I mean, even if we manage to fully stop it on the phone calls, I mean, they're just going to move to the next cheapest medium of communication which is going yeah. to be email um and and then even if we manage to fully stop it on email which uh, by the way our our whole uh re, you know um refundable nano deposits it can work in any communication medium like phone calls email text messages social media direct messages you name it um but you know even if we get this to work on emails where everyone's using you know karma comfort email they're going to move to social media direct messages and start doing it there and even if we get to uh, put those speed bumps in social media direct messages. Well, then they're going to go on to public forum. You know, when you go on to Twitter and you see the scammers putting, uh, oh, Elon Musk is giving away, you know, one Bitcoin. If you send them one Bitcoin, yeah. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Uh, our whole method only works for direct communication. It doesn't work in forum style posting. We don't have a solution for that. So, um, yeah. 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 There's always leaky holes and, um, Yeah, uh, but I I really love being in the field of, you know, stopping people from getting scammed. Um, Because one of my favorite things, I mean, that I, I mean, one of the things that I really want to do before I die is just help as many people as possible. Like, that's always been a goal of mine. It's why I became an engineer in the first place. And it's the only reason that I switched to what I'm doing now because software, uh, especially phone call, like, it touches so many people in the world. And um, yeah, it would just make me so happy if I can make more people, you know, uh, safer. And I make a lot of money in the process. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> where did that? Where did that uh, desire come from of of helping people? I really don't know. Um, I I don't know. It just I, I guess I sort of discovered it around seventeen, eighteen years old. Um, I think I I went to a leadership camp. Um, it was called National Teen Leadership Program. Uh, I went there two years in a row. And it's basically a three-day summer camp where um, we got to meet with this really crazy, amazing group of people who taught us all about leadership and, um, you know, how to 
uh, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. And I think, I think around there is when I started to catch that bug. And I don't know, it just, it just felt like it's always been there to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's hard to explain, but I don't know. It's just, it's just been there. Nice. I mean, it's, it's an admirable quality that, you know, I wish more people had. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of what I do on Twitter. I just kind of poke bears and like try to get people to be honest or shed light on such because I don't want people to, to get scammed. Like that, I mean, when, when, when JJ was on, when we, we started this, that was kind of the whole premise of the podcast was just to kind of protect people from getting scammed. Oh, really? In, oh, cri- so cool. in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Just because like we, I mean, there was just so much misinformation out there. There was so much like, so many friends were asking us questions during the bear run of 20, um, you know, 2017, 2018. And then, you know, and a lot of our friends lost a ton of money in that because they bought at the top. And so we're like, all right. So originally we were trying to like cater to noobs, but it was just, it was next to impossible to talk to them and to talk about cryptocurrency and have them understand it because we had been in the space so long. So we couldn't really talk about anything because even, even friends who were really smart would listen to her like, yeah, I got about 5% of what you said. And it was just like, <laughs> and that was us trying to dumb it down as much as possible for people. And it's like, all right, this is, so it's, I mean, it's tough. It's like, there's, there's always going to be a, a way of, uh, there's always going to be so many roadblocks in the way of trying to help people. And you got to kind of like constantly be on your feet and adjust and adapt and, you know, bob and weave. And <laughs> it's really challenging. Um, it's, it's really challenging because you have these, you know, economic incentives that have people, uh, put out, you know, maybe misinformation, maybe hype that doesn't deserve to be hyped out as much. And you get this wave that people like to follow, you know, this sort of a uh, wave of people who, you know, just follow the crowd. Um, and let's be real. I mean, sometimes they do really, really well. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's Dogecoin. If you had invested in that, <laughs> you know, last year, you'd be way better than most of us now. It's like the number one biggest, you know, return investment in the longest time. That's wild. It's hilarious. Um, but then there's things that are not so funny, you know, like, you know, uh, one coin and things like that. So, yeah. um, it's, it's, people don't want to be wrong, you know? Um, so when they get that weird, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, uh attachment to something, it's, it's this sort of. Uh, cognitive dissonance that they end up getting where they just won't listen to reason at all. Um, and it's just, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. There's nothing you really can do about that, you know? I mean, it, like as a joke, we wanted to start making t-shirts so people could have a t-shirt for their team because that's all it was in crypto. It was just like, what team are you on? And people mm-hmm. were like diehard, you know, like diehard Manchester United fans. Like those are the Dogecoin people or those are the Ripple people or those are the, the Chainlink people. And it's just like, and the fact that we have names for them on Twitter, like, you know, the, the Link Marines or, you know, Nano Reply guys, or it just, it just shows like how um, siloed people in crypto, people in crypto become, you know, they, they go down their rabbit hole and, and they're like, I don't know if it's like a, just like comfortable for them. Because it is a lot of work. I mean, I listen to Bitcoin Maxis and I ask them and I'm like, you know, you, you refuse to look at all this other tech that's amazing. You know, there's tech has evolved over the last 12 years and you're not looking at it. Like, honestly, I don't, have the, I don't have the time or the energy. It's just, it's so much work to try to learn about something new and then spend hours and hours and hours and, and figure out what's wrong with it and how it doesn't work. And then, you know, and then what am I going to do? Like just sell all, all of my 
everything I've invested for the last 12 years and then move it over there. And I was like, okay, I understand that. Um, but that's when, you know, it's just like, you know, if I had Apple stock and it went to zero, I would sell it before it went to zero and, and move it to something else. It's like, I don't, I've never really understood that with people. So I like that you're not actually catering your app to nano. It's just there in the background. Like when I look at, when I look on your app, there's like nothing that says like nano this or nano. It's like, like you're not really like pumping nano. You're pumping your app that just happens to have that in the background. Yeah, that, that that's right. Um, I'm, I'm not really in the business to pump anything. I'm just in the business of improving the way that we communicate with each other and uh, ideally helping businesses uh, helping businesses pay you to listen to them. And that's where, you know, we really make money on our side with that commission and whatnot. So um, uh, really the only reason we use, I mean, one of the main reasons we use Nano is for something that I like to call uh, payment fee arbitrage, which I find really fascinating. And we should totally talk about that because I, I love the concept. Do it. Yeah. Edu- educate so, me about it. <laughs> so like, you know, when you are in an era where a commodity that was once scarce becomes wildly abundant, you would be wise to take that newly abundant resource and use it foolishly, use it as much as possible. And I'll give you this example that I, I love because it's so amazing. Um, I, it, it, it's not even my example. A friend told me, a really good friend of mine told me this example after I talked with him for a long time about my concept. But um, Hussein, um, in the, uh, uh, you know, if you want to describe an example of a scarce resource that became newly abundant and how someone took advantage of it. Let's look at the photograph. Um, when I was a kid, I used to have a disposable camera where I had 30 pictures and I would have to be very careful and take these pictures at the perfect moment and then walk down to a store to pay someone to develop those pictures. And then I have to go home and come back the next day to pick it up. And so I put a lot of energy and resources into getting those pictures developed. They were scarce. And um, what would happen after I, you know, got them from the stores, I would put them into a little notebook and show them to my family later. And they were really, really valuable to me. I love taking pictures. And who knew that one day a startup would come along and say, you know, these pictures that you find so valuable that capture your life memories and you spent so much time collecting, we're going to take these pictures, show them to you for seven seconds, and then we're going to throw them away. And that company is Snapchat. They're worth $80 billion now. So that's a great example of how you take something that was once scarce and is now newly abundant because you have digital storage that lets you store as infinitely many pictures as you want. So why not just throw them away? There's so much innovation that you can have. Now that we have a payment platform where you don't have to pay fees, and before you used to have to pay 1.5% to 2.9% for every single fee, every single transaction you send, that was a scarce commodity you never even had zero fee payment and now you do so what can we do with that and that's sort of you know where karma call and fincom comes in because we really want to explore that space so um yeah yeah i I, that's that's why i'm a huge like zero fee payment advocate i i love the concept and there's so much cool things that we can do with it well it's funny because you you seem like a, a glass half full guy because when something becomes abundant you're like oh you know how can we help people and then the other half of the people are like, ooh, how can we steal from people? <laughs> you know? And that's, I mean, that's, that's great. Like we, it's, it's the, the constant battle of some people constantly look at holes to try to scam. And then some people are constantly looking at, at holes of like how to fill them. 
and like how to like help people. Um, so if you had unlimited resources, like what would you want to do? Unlimited resources? Um, yeah. Well, uh, one of the reasons why I'm in the digital space is because it's one of the easiest ways to make money. Um, and I, I do have some physical hardware concept that I've been dying to uh, work on. Um, and, and one of them is kind of silly, but I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, uh, I used to have really vivid dreams. Um, I used to actually uh, lucid dream for a while, um, do it on, on command too. Um, and my dreams were just wild. They were uh, just things that I could never, I've never seen in real life. I've never seen a movie about them. I'm sure you have the same sort of dreams that are just, just, you know, insane, like just I, I, I don't know how to describe it. And I started thinking, wow, I wish I could share this with someone and I wish I could see what other people dream. Um, so I had this concept where I'd love to be able to close my eyes, imagine some vivid, bright scene that you could never replicate on a computer or in real life, and then just have it pop up on a computer screen. So be able to just imagine scenes, imagine movies and have them come out as if they were a YouTube video or an Instagram picture. Um, so you know, I have this crazy theory about how you could do that by uh, having um, an ability to do some sort of functional magnetic resonance or fMRI and sort of track each neuron as if it was a pixel and look at the intensity of the neuron flashing as a uh, pixel intensity and then use that to, you know, map colors and whatnot. And if you look at Elon Musk's um, new company, I think it's Neuralink, um, his whole concept is, is pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. I, I'm, I'm not sure that it can work um but it's i, I if i weren't doing what i'm doing now i, I would totally join that because that's like really close to what i was envisioning i mean they have little uh carbon uh, nanowires that are basically getting as close as they can to each neural uh neuron in your head and that's like exactly what you need you need to be super close to each neuron to be able to detect the intensity of it appropriately um so so yeah if i had unlimited resources i would work on something like that I have no idea how I would make money from it at all. It would strictly be art. <laughs> well, I mean, if you had unlimited resources, you wouldn't need to make money off of it. You true, just... <laughs> true, true, true. I mean, that's the that's like that's the great thing about that question is just like, oh yeah, I, I don't have to think about how do I pay my rent doing it. I could just do it. And and I love those questions because people just start to like when you take away that that um, that hurdle. It just allows them to just like you know be as free as they want and and go down the rabbit hole of like oh this and that and that and I mean it's like and I think that's like where like a lot of the imagination comes in as a, as a, I do some screenwriting and a, and some famous people say don't ever think about budget it's not your job to think about the, how much this this movie would cost to make your job is just to be creative and write it down and then some other directors are like no 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 like <laughs> unless you're scorsese you, you're never <laughs> going to be able to make that so you have to be you have to be realistic like if you're a poor bartender working in la you need to you need to write a script that's only going to cost like five to ten thousand dollars to make like two locations three actors shoot it in a weekend or a week you know and so it's like it's it's that it's that constant like push and pull of like as as a creative and you're a creative too. I mean, you you you're you're creating all these things. You're imagining all these things. You're doing all these things. So it's like you're an artist. You know, you're you're like a digital artist. So it's it's weird. Like when, when like what happens when we get to take off the blinders or like take off the the the, the weight constraints of like what we could imagine. Um, 
So I like to ask people, I like to ask other creatives that question. And uh, it's a really cool question when you put it that way. Um, I, I never thought about it like that, um, but it is a really cool question when you put it that way. Uh, so do, do you do you currently write without a budget or do you write with a budget in mind? I don't write with a budget in mind. Every once in a while, if like if something comes up, I'll be like, oh, could I change it to that? Yes. So I, I could go back and I could rewrite it if I needed to. But I, I don't like when I'm in the process of you know, imagining the characters and the locations and this and that. I try not to, I just don't think about it. Um, that, it sounds like the best way to write. Yes and no, but like as a, as a unknown writer, I'm trying to get other like unknown directors to, to direct it. And they're like, I could never, <laughs> I could never shoot that. Like you have, you know, 17 locations and one of them's in Barbados. Like I, we have a $4,000 budget. Like, come on, you got to write something that we can actually shoot so that, you know, it gets, so I take those scripts that I don't, that I don't, um, think about budget on it. And I submit those to contests and then I, I create smaller stuff and then I shoot that with people like, you know, up and coming directors and stuff like that. And, have you but, published any books yet? No. Oh, I don't, I, I don't write books. Um, I've shot some, some stuff that I wrote and then, you know, I act, I usually act like in two or three things a year, commercials and stuff. Um, so, uh, did we miss anything about Karma Call that you really want to like get off your chest and, and have people know about? Um, I, I could talk for ages about karma call to be honest with you uh but i i, I don't think we've missed too much about it i mean um it, there there's like a whole lot of material that i i, I could really talk about but um no i mean it, it the basics is there karma call one thing that i definitely want to get off my chest is that um you know we're not just focused on karma call you know to block bone spam calls like that's not at all like the only thing that we do, like I'm, I'm really excited about Fincom and our mission to reduce cost of customer acquisition for uh, businesses. I think it's just insanely exciting to be able to give businesses a way to contact people and pay them to respond. Um, and so, like, yeah, there's a whole lot more that we can do in that space with email, with text messages, with button clicks, um, and getting people paid in nano for each one of those things. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm super excited about that, but I haven't been talking too much about the FinCom thing because we've been, uh, you know, working in the background a little bit on that. Uh, I like to quote my, uh, uh, favorite poets by the name Wayne, who said, uh, real G moving silent like lasagna. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Um, so if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way? Uh, just shoot me an email, um, adrian at fincom.com. Sweet. And I'll put that in the show notes. Um, Absolutely. And you're only Android right now, right? Yeah. Well, we're working on iOS. Like I'm learning a whole bunch of Swift right now and getting voiceover IP set up for the iOS ecosystem. I'm really excited uh, about that. Um, I, I can't give any hard deadlines because, you know, deadlines are, yeah. yeah, you end up missing them and whatnot. But um, no, we're coming out on iOS um, later this year. So super excited about that. So, okay. So later this year. So, I mean, you, not a deadline, but you have a guesstimate. In, in um, I mean, if, if we were to go, you know, bonkers on this development, it would be summer uh, uh, of this year. Um, if we go on a conservative pace, it would be closer to uh, mid Q3 
or so. Uh, but sometime, you know, uh, to late Q3 to early Q4 is when I can see this coming out. And of course, it depends on how we go uh, with, you know, how Apple um, works with us on that. Because, you know, there, there, there's some weirdness there with the payments that we're doing to people and how Apple typically wants to cut of payments that happen. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of exploring to happen there. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm optimistic. I didn't even think about that. So Google doesn't, does Google t- take a cut of what you take well no um and and the thing is we sort of do things a little differently so um let's look at the apple example uh with apple anytime that a uh uh, a user pays for something or buys something through an app apple wants to cut up that yeah the thing is our users don't pay for things our users they get paid they get paid to pick up a call they get paid to block call so the payment direction is in the complete opposite direction which is why i think we're going to have no trouble at all uh with the apple side but you know they can be they can be weird uh, it took me three months to get past google last year and i ended up growing it gnarly beard because of it um it was it was disgusting <laughs> You're like, I'm not cutting off this beard until I, I get approved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was a huge mistake. I was like, yeah, it's going to be no problem. One week and it'll be through. And then it ended up being just this Santa Claus looking nonsense. That was just, uh I saw an interview. Uh, hey, it didn't look bad. You look good, you look good with a beard. <laughs> I feel like, like, like Rasputin with that beard for sure. <laughs> I mean, you looked like a total hipster though with the beard. <laughs> oh, God. It's all right though. Uh, I mean, hey, most people I, I, I I've seen guys who grow a beard like that and they look terrible. So be, be thankful you look good with the beard. <laughs> thank you. Well, it might happen again. Uh, my my team is begging me to start doing the beard thing again. So um, I might not have a choice. <laughs> I mean, just for the just for the um, Silicon Valley uh, like mystique. It just I mean, it's just that thing right now that if you can grow if you can grow a beard and look good, it uh. It kind of works. I mean, so are you, like when uh, you said you just hired, like before we started, before I hit record, you said you just hired somebody. So are, yeah. you, are you getting um, like VC money? Are you getting like, how, how does that work? Um, so we're, we're currently bootstrapped right now. Um, I've, I've been funding the company out of my own pocket uh, for the last, you know, couple of years or so. Um, no VC money at this point. I mean, we do have an equity crowdfund that we, uh, uh, we were going pretty gangbusters on it for a bit. Um, and, and lately, over the past month, we've settled down on the marketing for that uh, so that we can focus more on the core business model, uh, focus more on getting customers and focus more on making our product uh just really amazing really you know great intuitive and make people want it um and also focusing on this really awesome international deal that i would love 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 to talk more about uh i can hear you smiling and and wanting to talk about it it's it's really amazing it's really amazing um but you know nothing nothing settled there we're still going through negotiation um but if it does go through um there'll, there'll be a a whole bunch of customers for us to um, show, for us to have, you know, using Karma Call, using FinCom internationally. Um, but like I said, that that still, you know, hadn't gone through yet. Um, but a lot of cool stuff happening there. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, the whole funding thing is coming out of my pocket right now. And um, yeah, you know, I just, uh, I'm trying to, it, it's weird because, you know, when you're doing a scalable startup like this, you, you, you can't, 
you can't just be stingy with everything. You have to watch your money. You have to watch your burn rate, but you also have to spend money to make money. So, you know, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. That's insane. I just can't imagine having to like bootstrap something like that and with, with in paying employees, especially. So where, where are you based out of right now? Southern California. Holy crap. So, I mean, just the rents alone for your employees, that's just like, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, my, my team is amazing. Uh, you know, they're, they're really dedicated people. So, um, they're just really in it for the, the right cause. And, and, uh, we kind of have to find those amazing people to do something like this, to do something that's never been done. So, um, I consider myself really lucky to, you know, be in the presence of those amazing folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's good. Um, all right. Anything else you want to throw out there? Before we, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you think this whole concept is interesting, you should definitely check out our equity crowdfund. It's on title3funds.com under the name Karma Call. And you'll see a, a whole lot more information about us there. It's kind of outdated right now. We're going to fix it up over the next uh, few weeks. And there is some cool stuff coming up that I'd love to talk more about. But, you know, if you find this whole concept interesting, check it out once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to invest in a super early-stage company before it starts to take off. So, uh, yeah, thanks for giving me this platform. Yeah, really appreciate it. Of course, it. of course. And well, I'll make sure to have everything in the show notes if you're interested, and you can go to his links. All right, Adrian, you're going to have to come back on if, if that, uh, that uh, overseas thing happens and you get all those overseas customers. You can, you can tell me about it. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be so amazing. Yes, I would love that. All right. Um, Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, catch you on the next one. Bye.